Wholeness, welcome, Josh Dippold. That's me. That's what people call me. The website's integratingpresence.com. So today's event is called the beautiful training precept of non-harming. What does it mean to engage in non-harming? How does one practice this and why? Beautiful? Yeah. How? So this is inspired by a retreat I did recently, an online retreat with a teacher, Gil Fronstel, and he looked at these training precepts as beautiful, and I never thought of them as that. We'll get into that, but that's what inspired this, to look at these as beautiful. So I'm going to basically break this down in three ways. We're going to take a look at what is harming to begin with and kind of go into that uh, on various levels and some personal experience with this, and then we'll elucidate why this is important, why it's important to engage in non-harming, and then focusing on this can actually be a beautiful training. Not most people look at it like that. We'll go into like how people would look at something, usually perceive something like this, and how it might be perceived differently. So I start with a story that happened. Uh, I was giving another Insight Timer talk, and I keep my phone in my car sometimes. So I ran kind of the last minute was running out there to get that. And some guy was in, excuse my storytelling here. It has a, leaves a lot to be desired. There's a guy out there with his backpack. Hey man, can I use your phone? I need to, I need to, I can't even call my kids. Uh, I said, well, you know, Hey, come back here in a half an hour and I'm done. I have an old phone that I'll just let you borrow, you know, and you're welcome to give it back to me whenever. Um, whenever you get your stuff straightened out. And so he came back and I gave it to him and uh, it turned out I had forgotten that I hadn't wiped the phone. So he had started an account on something with one of my email addresses I left in there. I'm like, oh, geez, I can't believe I forgot to wipe the phone. So I remotely wiped it. And then he got in touch with me later because I wrote on a piece of paper how he can get in contact with me. So I got the phone going and it turned out he told me a story then. And again, when he came the phone that it was telling me how people were just, he was, uh, he'd just been kicked out of his house and that he's on the streets now and that he's always getting into fights and people were kicking his ass and really roughing him up and stuff. But he seemed to like get some satisfaction from this. And, um, so it turned out that, you know, the cops had found his stuff and he said, Oh, I forgot the cops found my stuff. I just need a ride there. Somebody with an ID. And I'm like, well, you know, I couldn't do that. But so I get this call after that, I get my phone back and get this call. Like, I don't know, a few weeks later, he's calling from the hospital and he he's like, uh, of course he's, he's still struggling with some things. And he's like, Oh, I had this number written down. Who is this? And I go, well, who is this? And he says his name and last name. How do I know you? Okay, then it dawned on me, waking me up here, what this was. And he said, yeah, me and my friend, we got in an argument over astrology, and he hit me over the head with a baseball bat, and I'm in the hospital. And it just kind of struck me. I'm like, and I said, you know, maybe you're not ready to hear this, and this is tough tough love, but how many times are you going to have to get this crap beat out of you to feel love, to feel like you're being loved? And he just kind of like, uh, uh, you know, what do you... Uh, can you say that again? I, I told him, you know, how many times do you have to get the crap kicked out of you to feel like you're being loved? And I gave him this example that when I was a kid, a lot of times I would act out with my parents because, uh, maybe this is too personal here, but it illustrates the point. 
I would act out because that's the quickest way I can get the, their most attention and love. It didn't matter if it was negative or positive. Acting out got their attention the quickest and gave the most emotion at one point in the easiest way. So a lot of times how backwards things can be and distorted, that, that acting out uh, was able to get me love and attention. It wasn't uh, the positive side a lot, but then again, I didn't do anything positive to receive it. Um, you know, that's neither here or there, but so I applied that to him and it just kind of dawned on him. Oh yeah, maybe I'm getting into, um, this is how I get people's attention to get people to pay attention to me, getting the crap beat out of me. Um, so, and then he said, well, I got to go. I'm filling out this, I got, I'm getting, filling out my discharge papers. I'm going to go I'm like, Oh, this is wild. So let's look at the de dictionary definition of this, uh, harm, physical injury, especially that which is deliberately inflicted, physical or mental damage, injury, mischief, hurt, physical or mental damage or injury, something that causes someone or something to be hurt, broken, made less valuable or successful. To cause hurt, injury, or damage to someone is something. To cause harm to someone or something. So like everything else, this starts in the mind. There's an idea or a thought formation of desire or wanting to harm someone and then whether it's conscious or not maybe it gets verbalized as wanting to harm and then maybe it'll go into physical altercation and i also wanted to say too that i lack this thing called the vagina crown uh this is a kind of a humorous way to look at it. like i didn't go through the birth canal so when i got in here at least i've been told right that i was uh born from a c-section and just from the get-go, now I, I'm grateful that the, obviously the doctors did that and, you know, it, it could have been a lot worse, right, if they didn't do that. I won't go into details here, but right from the get-go, someone else was enlisted to, in a way, harm my mother by cutting her open just so I could be here and maybe to save her life too. So right, uh, you know, I've got that started right from the get-go of someone else after being responsible for harming someone I love dearly uh, for me to even be here. So just, I don't know if they, how that will inform anything, but another thing, what, what I see so much in culture, and this is a critique, and it just, it just really weighs on my heart, and now that I've been practicing this for a little bit, is it's just the way men and women treat each other, the games they play. And, you know, there's just tons and tons of media out there of, you know, he said, she said, tit for tat things, how one harmed another, how they're getting the upper hand, and you know, it's just like, over what? Is this the way we treat each other now? It, it just really turns me off to a lot of different relationships when it, it's like in the culture to to make these things like not only acceptable, but like, okay, people are making their living out of, I don't know, aggrandizing these types of behavior and putting this stuff off on a pedestal of how bad we can treat each other. I mean, it's just so ridiculous. I have to laugh and smile because it's just so insane <laughs> in a way. It's just ridiculous that, okay, so I'll, I'll get off the soapbox and quit ranting here. But um, so for me, the harm to obvious for me anyway, now this is probably very by people action, you know, bodily action. It's pretty obvious. You see somebody throwing a fist at somebody's face. That's harm, right? I mean, that's, uh, <laughs> That's, that's just as clear as day as that. People's emotions can, it can act as a protective mechanism, right? Having high amped up emotions is like, you know, 
get away from me. I don't want you know near me because you're harming me. So I'm going to blast out emotions to protect myself. And um, so that goes both ways too. And it can just keep feeding each other with a thought and emotion until the foot goes off the gas pedal of one or the other and just kind of coast until it coasts down. The ones that uh, are not so obvious to me are thought and speech. Uh, so yes, thought is the most subtle layer um, pretty much for most people of how harm can be done. You know, either thinking ill of others or thinking ill of ourselves. There seems to be some sort of agency over that sometimes, and sometimes, you know, I guess due to habits and patterns, uh, it takes a while to train some way different than that. Speech, though, this is one that seems obvious to a lot of people, but it wasn't to me so much, and I didn't um, realize how much trouble I could get in with unwholesome speech. And at the same time, you know, the opposite is how um, healing and empowering and uplifting speech can be, too. So in between these, uh, where it's kind of like, yeah, not so, maybe a little bit obvious, maybe not so obvious, is kind of the, the psychological harm that can be done, too, um, and, and kind of a, a psychic, energetic harm that can be done. That's probably just as subtle as um, thought as well, and I'm not going to go too much into that. It's commonly said in some circles like this that if you could just imagine something we usually take for granted, I would just say most of us here or anyone listening to this or those listening to this, if we all refrained, everyone in the whole world, humans, would refrain from killing just other humans for one day, this whole world would just be, just be change overnight and not something we take for granted that happens all the time. You know, there's, as far as I know, there hasn't been a recorded day of history where one human hasn't killed another for so many different reasons for in so many different areas. There's also this theory for understanding this, and this comes from uh, teacher Matt Kahn, and eh, maybe, maybe not, but it, I thought it's an interesting idea to mention anyway, that there seems to be a satisfaction in um, decay and erosion, actually being conscious of when things decay or erode or extinguish. And when we become conscious of this... Um, it has this type of satisfaction in it. This doesn't imply any harming because you look at the cycles of nature, right, that currently happen here on Earth. Uh, in the fall, things start to die and they go away and they, they, they die out and they lose life force and they kind of go into a hibernatory state, if that's a word. And in the spring, they come back to life. But a lot of times, um, we're not conscious of how this works. And so when we're not conscious of this, we can think, oh, it shouldn't be like this. It shouldn't happen. Well, maybe, maybe not, but it is happening. This, that is the way it is right now. You know, that's the way nature works right now in the system. So, but when we become conscious of that erosion decay, oh yeah, this is how it is. This is part of reality too. It can actually be kind of, you know, provide some sense of satisfaction. Now, I wonder that the reason so, now this is just pure speculation, the theory on my part. I wonder why some of the harm happens is that people are trying to, or people go to some of these extremes to become conscious that things die, that things decay, that things don't always lift themselves up and build up, but they are torn down and eroded and decay and extinguished. You know, the violent video games, the, just the intent to harm, the way some people verbally attack other people. I wonder how much of that is this them trying to bring into consciousness that this notion of erosion and decay and extinguishment. Although, obviously, that's not the 
wholesome way and skillful way and wise way to do it. So those extremes can possibly bring into consciousness this type of satisfaction. Obviously, I don't advocate for this. If you meditate, you, these things become conscious, so you don't need to go through ridiculous amounts of extremes like this to become conscious of that things can you know, go into decline and decay. Another way we can get um, kind of this satisfactory uh, notion around death without any kind of harm being involved is this contemplation of death and the charnel ground contemplations. And I'll link to that in the show notes of the, the event I did on that and how we just realize and face this truth that we are going to die, you know, and, and in vast detail, not to get bummed out or morose. It's to realize that we only have a certain amount of time left here and that this is the truth of the way things are now. And so the more we can be prepared for that and notice that, the less we take for granted in life, the more we seize every moment to use um, to help ourselves and to help others. And nothing has to be uh, harmful around this with this contemplation. Okay, so another few critiques about violence. Um, it's kind of a foolish false power, you know. Uh, at the same time, how can one, especially for males, how can one not be emasculated by non-harming? Because I know a lot of males will look at this and say, you know, what is this? That's so like, what are you, little girly man or whatever? You know, you're not going to be able to harm anybody. That's just ridiculous. And I would say, no, it actually takes, it takes more restraint and refraining. Refraining and restraint from harm actually requires and displays more power and self-mastery than, than harming someone most times. You know, you look at the martial arts, right? So now this doesn't mean that, you, yeah, you can't defend yourself. I'm not saying that. Obviously, if somebody initiates force, then obviously you have the right to defend yourself and the ones you love. Um, that's, uh, that's not what I'm talking about. So even if there were no repercussions for, or, and consequences for killing or harming, how would this solve anybody's issues you know, how would, how would that even solve anybody's issues anyway? I don't get it. You know, what does it really solve? Because it's coming from, the issue is coming from within. You know, if you just, if something's killed because you don't like it or whatever reasons you want to give for it, the place that it comes from within, if that's not resolved, then that's just going to continue anyway. It doesn't matter what you change on the external so much, you know. We look at what is the intent for harming. Um, sometimes it is because we feel righteous and we're justified for doing harming, right? It's this revenge, these um, cycles of abuse, um, victim, victimizer things. And the way things are so distorted now too, some people actually get sexually aroused by harming. Then you have the whole thing where people are using harm to like compensate for sexual shortcomings. So again, you know, a lot of this time, this is uh, comes from righteousness in those who even say they have a higher power that justifies harming, I would just ask, you know, well, how can you prove and demonstrate this other than shows of force that still can't destroy truth, you know? So truth, the reason truth is so powerful is it cannot be destroyed. And so that's another thing here that this non-harming helps kind of buffer and soften and keep truth in check truth can be very destructive. It can destroy the world we used to live in. It can be used to harm and attack people too, or it can be used to liberate and free people. So this non-harming, this commitment to non-harming, uh, it helps along with the commitment to truth that can be used as a very 
powerful protector and awakener and liberator, but it kind of helps protect the, um, the abuses of truth that can happen too. So if we're committed to non-harming, that acts kind of a, more of a shield, I guess, to truth, shielding others too. So how much can one harm, and this one I had to kind of learn the hard way, or still learning too, I mean, how much harm can be done by not walking away from certain peoples in certain situations. You know, sometimes it takes way more strength to do this than any kind of physical strength or anything like that just to walk away. I mean, are there is there the equivalent of gyms and combat training for just walking away from a situation? Or do we just have to get our training with fools, you know? I mean, what's, what's it going to take to finally just walk away from something and leave it and not come back? So again, when we look at this, we can talk about self-harm too and hate and, and taking on what others say about us. So when we listen to people and they say things about us and we start taking that on as an identity, and of course, usually what people say is just kind of a reflection or an indicator of where they're at on their journey. It really doesn't have anything to do with us. Taking that on as true and who we are, things that are harmful from other people, and believing that and then subscribing to that and then having that ruminate over and over in our minds. And that is a self a form of self-harming, you know? I mean, that's kind of like the most common everyday version of it or one of them. You know, it goes way more extreme than that. But just this notion that it might feel real, but it's not true. What people, the harmful things people say, it's more saying uh, what's happened to them kind of a reenactment of their trauma a lot of times, you know, and where they're at and what they're struggling with. So this term hate speech, this is a really interesting term here. I'm not very fond of this. Obviously, we all know that, you know, hate speech is not appropriate to, to, to harm anyone with speech. And of, of course, it's against the guidelines on both platforms here. Just want to address the term itself, though. I was like, I kind of a call for a better term for this because the unconscious mind doesn't really know the the negative, right? When the unconscious mind sees hate and speech, for one thing, it's like you're hating speech. I mean, that's not obviously how we normally uh, interpret that, but there it is. You're hate. You're hating speech in general, or calling out what's wrong. So instead of saying the positive of what you want to train the mind towards, it's immediately locked in to the negative of hating. So right there, there's automatically a problem and an amplification, possibly, okay? I don't know 100%. You have to see in your own perception what you feel about this. But there's immediately a, po a problem and an amplification of, of hate and speech and wanting to silence someone. And maybe, maybe they should be, maybe they shouldn't be. But it's just like hate building on top of hate. What about love speech, you know? Or, I don't know, I, I shouldn't, it should have a solution in place. But I just want to kind of point out this term and how interesting it is. And I don't hear too many people address the term itself. So yeah, what are the alternatives to this? You have to use that word to talk about these things. You have to use the negative a lot of times to, to talk about it. I'm not as skillful where I can couch this in more positive terms. So this brings me to the next point of how do we bridge this into loving kindness and loving kindness acts bodily, verbally, and mentally. So we go from this to that. So I invite kind of like, how do we do that? 
Well, I think one of the ways is this commitment to non-harming. I often find out sometimes afterwards that after I've said something, it, that it's been received as harmful to the other person. And so I wonder, you know, is what was said in and of itself harmful or is it an interpretation of being harmful? Either way, I think uh, finding out this a lot of times is beneficial. So we could find out where, how the other person received it and uh, how they interpret it, what their feelings are and where they're coming from too. A lot of times things get lost in misinterpretations. Uh, some people will overlay their own things on top of what's being said. Some things are just plain harmful and the other person doesn't realize it or sometimes they do. This is all kind of communication and dialogue that kind of help uh, work this out. People that are on this training path of non-harming, well, then they either offer an apology or they realize that it is legitimate that they've harmed someone through whatever means and they offer apology and, and then do a commitment to not doing it again. You know, a resolve, a, a firm resolve. But another little story I wanted to or just say, my brother and I were raising our voices at each other over stuff I won't go into. And this was over um, kind of a holiday thing. And... You know, I hadn't seen my dad do this much before, but he actually stepped in. He And I forgot what he said to my brother, but he said to me, Josh, you need to think before you speak. And I immediately said, yes, I agree. A lot of times I get loose in the lips and it has not served me well. Of course, a lot of this talk is prepared, so taking him up on that. So before we get into the importance, you know, we start where we are on this. Our and I want to also see how subtle this can go. The gross levels of harm are most obvious to people, right? But this can go really, really subtle. We talk about harmful thoughts, things that we just blow off. Well, drop by drop, a water bucket's filled. So these will add up over time. They also kind of condition the mind to be more likely to either speak harmfully and or act harmfully. Also, once people become more energetically sensitive, certain things that once might have not harmed them now becomes uh, more apparent that, and especially when people kind of do an unconscious outflow of energetic garbage and someone's really wide open, especially meditators sometimes, you can't easily kind of absorb that in, in a way uh, empathically. Uh, some people, you know, not everybody does that. In, in, instead of using this beautiful uh, thing of empathy to really uh, tune into people, kind of know what's going on and get higher levels of information and knowledge and be able to kind of address things and respond in ways that might go beyond just the standard way of doing things and progress and evolve. That's the upside of empathy. That The downside is that wide open, depending on where you are, what's going on. But then again, we can learn and grow for that. Uh, see the post on my site called Dharmic Strategies for Empaths, uh, addressing a lot of this from a lot of different angles. Okay, so the importance of this now, of non-harming, I'll just use a line um, from the Buddhist teachings. This, I think it's a sixth line of the Dhammapada, and it's something like, ill will can never overcome ill will. Only non-ill will can. This is an ancient and eternal law. Or it could also be like, you know, ill will can never defeat ill will. Only love can do this. So this is kind of like the ethical base of non-harming. This non-harm is like the base of other ethics. You, know, you have the doctors, a lot of them claim to do the Hippocratic Oath. 
uh, where they do no harm, but there is a lot of possibilities to harm people on subtle layers, you know, in, not necessarily intentionally, but so many different things can go on. So I'm not saying, yeah, uh, doctors hang up all your hats now. No, of course not. It's just like, this is a really serious thing that uh, needs to be held accountable to. Uh, and it's a very admirable thing too. So like all the other ethic, uh, ethics, I, I feel a lot of times can be put against this thing. Is it is it harmful or is it not? And of course, this is open to interpretation from different people too. So it's another fascinating thing. The reason I call this, a, or in Buddhism too, calls this a training precept. It's not like a commandment, right? Thou shall not kill, which is, it's great. I mean, it's obvious. I mean, it makes so much sense, right? This, however, because some people will say, oh, you know, that's too goody two shoes or, oh, I'm going to you're going to be damned in hell if you. Well, I mean, we won't get into religious things and that, and that might have changed with the New Testament. Right. This is a training. So it's not like it's like, OK, you, you pick yourself back up, you dust yourself off, you resolve to keep doing this to training at getting more and more skillful, more and more wholesome. Some people start with insects, right? Instead of just swatting the whatever bug that comes your way, you pick it up and you move it out of the place. It's not supposed to be in the house. You take it outside in a jar or something. Now let's get into why this is beautiful. This is something I hadn't heard before. You know, I, it's, this is for our welfare, benefit, and happiness to take on these things. You know, it's not like, oh, I know I should do this. You know, I should do this because, you know, I would be a better person. No, or what, maybe, yeah, but this is something that really, you have to experience how it really helps your life. It's not because you should or somebody told you or, yeah, I, I understand that would be better, but, you know, I, maybe I'll get there someday. But this is actually, you have to take this on as a training and experience the real benefits for yourself. And even more so, how can this be beautiful? Well, for one thing, when we look at this as beautiful, you can't really be in conflict. It's very challenging and difficult, I found, to be in conflict with something we find beautiful. How are we going to be conflicting and harming something we find beautiful? It, it's really challenging, I find, at least in those moments when we find it beautiful. So it could be like being in a big flower garden. You know, this is, this is a beautiful training and practice. Now, what's even more beautiful than that, though, is that when we inspire others to do the same thing, so when we can inspire others to be really revel in the beauty of this practice, and that's even a more beautiful thing. And one of the common things, and I'll take this call here, is this gift of safety we offer folks. So when we're really committed to this and have some of this under our belt, and some of our past actions have maybe balanced out a little bit, people can sense, animals can sense that we, we don't have any harm in mind towards them, and we give them this gift of safety when we're around them then. And furthermore, if we're out for everyone's best interest, not just, you know, the greater good of whatever, you know, by ignoring other greater goods or, you know, the greater good of who, me and my cronies or whatever, when we were actually here to help and serve the best way we can, I'm, just, I'm not saying you don't have to be street smart about it. You know, there's street smart spirituality too, because we don't want to put ourselves in harm way from trying to help people either. But when we're committed to this, people can sense that we're, we're safe to be around. They, they can relax and let their guard down for the most part. I'm going to take this call. Samantha Ryan, welcome. How are you? I'm oh, sorry about that. Hi, okay. how are you? Oh, doing well. Let me, put you, let me put you up to the mic here on the other platform. Oh. <laughs> yeah, you're good. What, what's on your mind? That's good. Well, I mean, there's so much to unpack. Mm -hmm. um, 
had to say, and I, I say this with gentleness and, and sincerity, I think some of what you're trying to explain are inhumane actions in a human tone. Like you're trying to give a human aspect to what is essentially inhumane, right? Because that's our nature, to try and explain things so that we can understand them. But I think there's beauty and not being able to understand why people would choose to harm people or animals or anything of that ilk in the manner in which they do. And it's okay to not grasp that, to not understand. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It definitely, uh, yeah, we, uh, we don't have to know everything, right? We can be okay with not right. knowing. But when yes. we have that true knowledge, then we can we can understand and be able to better respond in the world, right? If we live in a state of oblivion, at least I know for myself, if I live in a state of oblivion, it doesn't do me any good or anyone right. else any good, it's right? It's not oblivion that I'm mm-hmm. talking about or, or ignorance or something mm-hmm. I can't stand is willful ignorance, right? Um, it's, it's being okay with the knowledge that something is so outside your scope and realm of understanding that you will never possess the ability to understand it. And that is quite all right. You know, I, I will never understand, for instance, why my abuser chose to abuse me in the manner in which he did. And I'm okay with that. I don't want to know. I don't want to know what went through his head. Um, I'm confident that I am a better person because I don't have the ability to know. I, and that's okay. I just want to say I'm I'm sorry about that. And oh, this it's, is it's, mm-hmm. thank you, but yeah. um yeah, I'm I'm okay. <laughs> um, I'm in a and, place now that's uh, I'm building a nonprofit mm-hmm. um around my experience to help other survivors mm-hmm. and, and uh, create a safety net to help survivors um find long-term mental health solutions and so just short-term because studies have shown that long-term solutions help ultimately you know further help someone get to their baseline of who they were before that trauma that they experienced and no survivor that goes through any any kind of trauma that ilk should have to worry about paying for mental health facilities and also deal with the ramifications of what they went there. That's absurd, you know? Um, but, uh, and then you mentioned, um, hate speech. And I think the best way to, to, uh, to combat hate speech is to simply live by example, right? Like we don't have to rise to that. We have the option to walk away and choose the kinder path. And that's great. Yes, absolutely. Yes, and we we lead by example, and if one can do it, then that that sets a standard that others can too. And yeah, yeah the abusive thing—it's it's really interesting, you know. On that, it's a really complex topic. I would just say that um, yes, in in, a, in sometimes I guess you know this is just off the top of my head. Sometimes it can get so severe that the last thing we want to do is, especially with, well, actually, I don't know, because this is the thing, a lot of the post-traumatic stress stuff that I've, that I've, um, that I've heard about, and a lot of the regular stuff doesn't apply to it, right? Um, Right. So it has to be addressed in a different way, and I'm not really qualified to go into saying that. I would just say maybe sometime down the road, I would just maybe consider asking, how do you know that you will never be able to um, 
receive the power of true knowledge and understanding for the benefit of acting uh, in ways that will not only help ourselves, but help others too. I don't think there's any benefit in understanding how a psychopath's mind works and, on that level. And that's, I really don't. And that's why I was just going to say too, that that's probably another topic I'll take up too is psychopathy because yeah. this world is run by psychopaths too. Absolutely and, and the more yeah. I feel that the one, one of the strategies is recognizing how that works, you know, yes. and when we can identify well, that, we don't necessarily have to feel that we know for sure, you know, I know that and mm-hmm. I'm so knowledgeable about that, but if it can at least be identified and then there's more yes. of a choice not to get uh, involved and wrapped up in that. You know, one of the things mm-hmm. I speak about very heavily are recognizing red flags. Um, and that's that knowledge, in right? Hindsight, yeah. were so obvious uh-huh. that I just didn't pay attention to. But uh-huh. as far as understanding why he chose to do those things to me, I don't ever want to experience a soul that's that black and tarnished. Uh-huh. I'm okay with not understanding that, and there's peace. And tranquility with that decision, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm okay with that. And what a blessing is it that we won't have to experience that, the, you know, mm-hmm. ultimately. The thing um, is that core wound with abuse, from what I've learned too, a lot of times people will choose that abuse over neglect because that neglect is sometimes well, more horrible to bear. Yes. And so they get they they seek that abuse after abuse after abuse because it's better than being neglected. So psychopaths work on a different level than people and they begin by breaking down a person's will. And that's a very important step to remember. Um and so these people, these poor poor people um are going about their lives feeling like they are worthless and they are nothing and that they're paramount to just the absolute worst of the worst because they've been made to feel that way and they begin to seek it out and it's a pattern right that deserves to be broken um and i believe we have the capacity and the strength with kindness and compassion to show these people that there is another avenue that there's absolutely a different way to live your life um and when I talk about my experience, that's that's what I try and focus on is the healing journey afterwards. You know, um, I think that's what's important, not not what my abuser was thinking at the time, but knowing that there's hope and there's life after something like that. Yes, as long as it can be identified, as long as there's a base level of knowledge that it can be identified, so it doesn't right. happen again. And that Absolutely. the and that the will has been restored to choose yes. to no matter what's going on to get out of an abusive situation, you know. Yes, but, but you mm-hmm. have the power within yourself mm-hmm. to choose a better life, to thrive, and that you deserve that. Your feelings are valid. You are valid, and you are worthy of living your best life. And, and that's the mm-hmm. kinder path. Yes, it is. And the, the, the sad, or not sad part, or it is sad too, is that some people actually will, um, they get off on it, you know? So they will put on this pretending, yes. yeah, that they, they will claim that it's not, but they actually get off on the abuse, the cycles of abuse and covering yes. it up and hiding it from people, you know, and trying to fool other people with it. And so, right. and they think they can be, gain more power and control by um, pulling one off on everybody else, right? This level of deceit and deception, which I have another level coming up with about... 
not really been. No, I'm talking about I'm talking about psycho psychopathy. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Psychopaths with psychopaths. <laughs> yes, yeah. So yeah, yeah. That's definitely a power thing. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah. In a lot of these levels of deception, it's just so rampant. And I've got a, an event coming up later this month about discerning okay. deception. So I will definitely tune into that. Um, cool. I've really loved what you've had to say. Thanks. And, uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, sharing the space with you. And I appreciate you, you know, giving me this time <laughs> to speak. Well, thanks for actually sticking around and call or, you know, joining and sharing yeah. your, and, and all the, the good things you're doing too. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you. And thank you. It, it's, a, mm-hmm. it's an okay place to be in right now, you know? Of course. I'm okay. And that's okay. <laughs> It's all right. Yes, it is. And that I love that mantra of radical acceptance. The only thing that doesn't apply to, though, is abuse, right? So, right. you know, if you're going through abuse, it's not okay. You have to do no, whatever you can okay. to get out of that situation, well, right? So Survival looks different for everybody, right? So don't have some grace with yourself. Yes, and be kind to yourself. You did what you had to do yes, to survive. Absolutely. But in the aftermath, do what it takes to get back to being you. Absolutely. Um, love and light to you, friend. Thank you so much, Samantha, for sharing. It's lovely. And with that, I will end this. And may you all be blessed with a beautiful experience of non-harm. A lot of times that means helping, helping ourselves and others.